I want to continue building on some of the thoughts that were discussed on Sunday. I feel a burden for clarification and better understanding for where God has our church and where we're headed. I think it's so important that when Aaron stands before the people, that he be given the understanding that change is difficult, change is hard. It may be different even if Moses was to give those commandments and young men who honor God, follow God, and want God's hand and touch and blessing upon the church and upon the ministry, oftentimes must do a more thorough job of explaining a burden, explaining the heart of a move or a change as substantial as the one that was released on Sunday. And to the best of my ability, I'm going to do that tonight. And I want to share more of my heart and really kind of define what it is we're trying to do as we make, no doubt, a monumental change in the way that we do ministry here at Trinity Baptist Church. Let's go back for the sake of understanding and so that we can continue to build on what we did Sunday morning. Turn back to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. I want to set this up for us as we continue to build. And I think it's important that we understand I didn't get a whole lot of time on Sunday to talk about what has just taken place in Matthew chapter 7. But what Jesus has just said in Matthew 7 is really some of the most scary verses in all of the New Testament. You need to go back and read all of this thought, but go down to the 24th verse. We'll get back into the two foundations. But what Jesus is speaking before we get to the two foundations has to do with his warning against false prophets, his warning against false teachers, his warning against even apostasy. And Jesus is protecting, he is providing, and he is preparing his disciples for days in which he will not be physically on the earth. He is preparing them for what will be the most difficult start of a ministry and church recorded in all of history. Uh, it was much more difficult then, after Jesus had just ascended back to heaven, to be a Christian, to be a part of the church, than it is today. We are in a blessed part of time, a portion of time that is so special. It's so, dare I say, easy even in comparison to what our disciples that we know from Scripture had to endure and had to embrace, even for us that are in ministry who have given our lives to preaching and teaching the gospel and loving people, pointing them to Jesus, to do so then could cost you your life. There were so many different areas of attack. But in verse 15 of Matthew 7, Jesus is saying, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And then he talks about every good tree bringing forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringing forth evil fruit. And every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. This is verse 19. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. And then he gives the danger of profession without faith. One of the most troubling verses in all of the New Testament. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? He comes out of this very difficult passage of scripture. And then Jesus transitions into these two foundations in verse 24 through 27. He talks about these two foundations. Let's read briefly these verses. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. Stop right there. Hear what sayings? What he's just said. Everything that he's just preached about, about the two waves and the false teachers and the danger of profession without authentic faith. 
Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Then he gives the storm and the conditions. Verse number 26, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descends, the floods come, the wind blows, beats on the house, and then that house falls. The Bible calls it a great fall. And really what Jesus is preparing his followers, his disciples for, is protection against apostasy. Protection against false teachers. And it proves to us, it shows to us emphatically, and there are many places in the New Testament we can see this, that inconsistency in our walk, inconsistency in our beginnings, our genesis, even from the time we're saved, the moments that we take our first breaths as new men and new women in Christ, that there should be and that there is a proper order to the sequence of events. God is a God of order. God is a God of regulation. God is a God of habit. It's not to say that God never makes a different decision. It's not to say that God isn't allowed to make a different decision. It's just the character and the nature of God that he would even have it structured that when someone is new in Christ, when they're new into the kingdom of God, that there is a process that the Bible spells out for us for that new believer. There's talk in the New Testament about taking that new believer and making sure that they get the milk that they need, but you can't stay on milk forever. There has to be a point where the milk stops and thank the Lord, I don't think it says ribeye steak in the Greek, but I think it says ribeye steak, you go to the meat, the thing that will help grow you and sustain you. The other verses in scripture that have to really balance this out, that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he's giving us this house that's built upon the foundation, not of the Baptist faith, built on the foundation, not of Baptist tradition, built on the foundation of obedience to God's word. And what this is doing is giving us an understanding of where Jesus places Holy Scripture, where Jesus places the foundation, the beginning of every life and every home, where he places the Word of God in its place and where he thinks of it to be and where it should be, that it has its place of supremacy. We said it Sunday, and most of this is a review from Sunday, this first part here but I want to make sure everyone understands, everyone takes this with them, that the only house that stands when the storm comes, and if you've lived any time at all in this life on this earth, the storm will come. Everybody say amen that knows that to be true. The storm will come. The thing in life that you never thought possible will happen. The doctors report that you never thought it, there's no way you could have that outcome. There's no way that your child would go through that situation or circumstance. The storms will come. We're guaranteed that. We are saved. We are sanctified. And yet we are waiting for glorification. And while here on this earth, the fight, the war, the battle, the struggle, the storms will come. And the house that is rooted that the house is on the foundation of obedience to God's word will stand no matter the speed of the wind, no matter the amount of water that comes, no matter how long, how long the duration of the storm is, if the house is secure, if the house is shored up and built correctly, starting at the foundation, that house may be tattered, that house may not look as beautiful as it once did. There may be shingles missing. You may be even missing the whole entire left side of your structure. At the end of the day, the house will still stand. And what we want to look at tonight is our effort to modify our schedule here at the church, what it's rooted in, and why do it. Why make a change that could upset someone? Ask the young pastor.
Why rock the boat when the ship was sailing so smoothly? And we're foolish to think that there isn't opinion. And it's wonderful to have godly wisdom and opinion. It's wonderful to have folks who care enough to ask. But the weight, the responsibility of explanation, of sharing the heart and the burden does not rest upon our deacons. It does not rest upon our staff. Rather, it rests upon the pastor. And so tonight, I will share more of my heart and pray that you will listen and pray with me as we seek the Lord together. Let's pray over this study as we sort of have a bit of a biblical business meeting. Amen. A little structure tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, take this time or drown it in your presence. Lead God and direct the atmosphere. God, I pray that you would take hearts and minds, attitudes, Lord, and start here with the man behind this pulpit. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, my prayer as it was three weeks ago. Father, this be thy will and give us the words. And Father, if you would not have us to go down this path, Lord, you knew the prayer of my heart and the sincerity of my heart. Now, Father, help me as the under-shepherd convey thy message to my heart that they may see, that may understand. Lord, what you are showing us, Lord, the urgency of the hour, the darkness of the culture, the fracture of the Christian home, Lord, the things that are mounting against us. Lord, help us to be ever tender, pliable, and humble. God, as you lead, God, and direct. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen and amen. The effort to modify our church schedule really begins back in 2020. I began to prepare for what God had put in our hearts. I had no idea even as late as January of 2020 where my future would be. I was praying, seeking the face of the Lord, asking God to give me definition for my ministry. I knew I wanted to preach and I knew that if I didn't preach, I was probably going to die. That's how I felt. I'd preached every squirrel, every tree, every stop sign, and every telemarketer that would listen. <laughs> and no doubt there were some distractions and there were some opportunities to go to other states. Miranda and I had had a meeting with the mission board to become part of a South America leadership team. And I knew that God was giving us no peace about any of those things. And then in July of 2020, I'm standing at the Lincoln Memorial, looking up there at Big Abe, and I turn around and our pastor emeritus is in tears. And I go, Granddad, are you okay? What's wrong? What's going on? Scared me to death. We go from a conversation about the construction of the monument, I turn around and three seconds later, he's sobbing. I thought, oh Lord, what have I done now? And I said, what's wrong? And he looked at me and he said, it's time. I said, it's time for what? He said, it's time. I'm to become the emeritus at Trinity. And God has placed the responsibility, the yoke on your life. You know it. I know it. But God gave me confirmation at 3 o'clock this morning that it's time. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of one of the most tense seasons of ministry ever to be recorded. And God's man, my Moses, my five-star general is saying it's time to make a change. What are you talking about? was my initial reaction. And I think this is another one of those moments. There have been many, many hours of travailing before the Lord, fasting, praying, many a Tuesday nights with our men's prayer. There would be nights that there would almost be some argument with God, if you will. Lord, I can't do that. Father, we can't go this way. Let's figure out another way. And, and a real conversation, a dialogue. And it's been heavy. It's been burdensome. But I feel in my heart as I pray 
not just looking with horse blinders at what's in front of me, but as I pray and ask God to give me wisdom and discernment, and yes, may I add, even above my years of understanding, as I pray that prayer, many of the things I think God is doing now in this moment in the life and the history of Trinity Baptist Church will ensure an appropriate and proper future that will solidify that Trinity Baptist Church as an entity and as a fellowship of faith will even exist. You see, if the Lord tarries another five decades and he chooses to leave us here 50 more years and we're going to be the same church with the same reach and the same power and same anointing that we've enjoyed these 60 plus years, then some things have got to change. And they have to change and they have to be done differently than we've ever done before. I remember the conversations. I still get weird looks at pastor's conferences from men who look at my grandfather and my great-grandfather as compromisers because they had screens placed in their building or a drum set placed in the sanctuary. Or that Poppy in the 50s was burdened to go on TV and how dare he do such a thing? There have been times where it has maybe not made sense. But if the people at that time who made up the church family would walk in faith and take that leap, God has always been faithful not to honor the man, but to keep his word and protect the church. You see, this is not about a family. It's not about a legacy. It's not even about the good godly heritage that we have around here. It's about us being surrendered to the will of the Father and following Him. And I see a great danger. I see a great collapse. I see great issue. My, my mind works in a particular way where if I see an issue, I can't just look at it and say, well, that's the problem. My medical background requires me to look at a problem and work it backwards like a protocol. If this person is having chest pain, shortness of breath, they're diaphoretic, and the morphine's not taking away their chest pain, I've got to investigate why that is a problem. Why is that happening? And I've got to start with what I know and with what I see. But then I've got to find the root cause. And most times, it's an internal surgical fix. And nothing that I can put a Band-Aid on or an ointment on or even a narcotic drug can fix that problem. Because those patients, those issues, those problems are an eternal problem that can only be fixed from the inside. And what I see not only in our culture, not just what I see in church world, but what I see even in the fine folks at Trinity Baptist Church, maybe not the ones that have beautiful gray hair who have followed God longer than I've been alive, but what I'm seeing, the alarming trend, the thing that keeps me from sleep and rest at night is my generation and the tendencies that we're following. And what we're watching happening right before our very eyes, is a categorical, absolute, diabolical death of the spiritual Christian home. And when that happens, what happens in corporate worship becomes nothing more than checking a box, a show, a performance, and it's why we are seeing the decline that we're seeing. It's why we're seeing good, godly Christian teenagers who have been raised in this church go to their first year of secular college and by the second semester, you can't recognize that child. There's a reason. It's a problem. It's an issue. Sometimes it just becomes, well, they're sowing their wild oats. No, it could be that they don't know Christ. But we're bringing them to church. Thank God you are. We can never discount the power of God, the, the value of the preached word of God. But even in that, if there are certain items, if there is a certain structure, if there is certain patterns that are not being met, then the corporate worship becomes action instead of true worship and exhortation of the saints. You see, we can 
go on and ignore the problem or we can get out of our comfort zone and we can set aside our preference and what we know to be routine and we can say, Lord, in Jesus' name, keep me tender, keep me humble and for the sake of the future generations, if you tarry another 50 years, help us to be a stable church that still remains on this 20 plus acres that preaches the gospel without fear and without favor. And this effort is not just about family devotions. Family devotions is the root. It's the action. It's the place where we can start to get the cavity drilled out and then filled with enamel. It's where we can go to the plaque buildup in the heart and we can do that surgical removal and cleansing of the arteries and veins so that the rest of the body can be healthy. But it cannot happen at the dentist's office, the cardiac surgery. Nor can the dental surgery happen at Asheville Cardiology. You see, the, the system, the organ that is diseased, the system or the organ that has the problem must be seen by the correct specialist. And the fracture isn't that we have forgotten how to assemble together. We know how to come to church, amen? We know how to raise a hand, get in the choir, put on a robe, stand behind a pulpit and preach a message. But the injury to the body, the diseased part is the home. It's no accident that our motto, our Creed, our identity as a church, not only has it been Holy Scripture, but our granddaddy, my granddaddy, your granddaddy too, our pastor emeritus has given us hope, heritage, and a place to call home. How many people know that to be a trinity saying, hope, heritage, and a place to call home? That's who we are. We still have the hope. Praise God, Jesus has gone nowhere. He's still on the throne tonight. We still have the heritage. We're building on that tonight. The heritage is not gone. The prayers that Poppy prayed on this property, his kitchen, might I add, was right here where this pulpit was. His table would be somewhere over here to my left where he and Nana used to pray for the future of our church. Those prayers are still being prayed in heaven. We haven't lost that heritage. Our pastor emeritus is still alive and preaching to 1,500 people under a tent tonight. Praise God. But Trinity, we're losing the home. And we have nothing if we've lost the home. And my burden, my concern is to be number one, right with God. You see, I'll answer to God himself as the under shepherd of this local church. And he'll look at me in the eyes and say, I knew the motivations and the intentions of your heart when the decisions were made. And he'll either say, well done, or son, you've disappointed me. I promise you this, with all the love and the humility I can muster, I 10 times over would rather be right with him than to avoid some difficult conversations and some upset people. That's why we're doing this tonight. Our efforts. Family devotions are not measured in structure. I hope you're taking notes because I really want to help you tonight, especially if you're struggling with this, what do we do now with Sunday night, young pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're asking the leaders of the home. That may be a father with children and a wife in the home. There are folks that belong to our congregation where the mother is in heaven and it's just the father and the children. And he'll have to do that by himself. And that might be difficult. But guess why we are here? To help equip. That's why we have deacons that love God, men full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, Sunday school teachers who will invest in you and your family. But we're asking the leader of the home to do something that involves the Word of God and prayer and we want the most protected time of the week that that happens be on Sunday afternoon after we have come together at either 8 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. and 9.30 for Sunday school so that there becomes 
a consistency that if there is no family devotion, no family altar, no family reading of Scripture, that Sunday night can serve as the icebreaker. There are many families in this building tonight, and by your own admission to me in private, your concern is I don't know how. It's not to make you feel bad about your decisions as a parent, as a husband, as a wife. It's for us to sound the alarm and make the change. If you were having a myocardial infarction, what would you want? Would you want to die of the heart attack or would you want the blockage to be opened? I think everyone can here can say clearly we would want the surgery. We would want the blood to flow back to the entire heart. Amen? And so this is a part of that process. But we must understand family devotions are not measured in structure as much as they are measured in consistency. Consistency. We're not asking that you replicate a service in your home. That's not practical. Some of you may want to take up an offering at your family devotion time. <laughs> and God bless you if you do. Please video it and send it to me. I've got to see it. We're not asking you to put on your Sunday best in this moment. We're asking you to be in your home, live real life in front of your family, but point them in that time that's protected, that we know Sunday afternoons, we don't go to the movies. We don't go to a gospel singing in whatever county. No, no, no. That's our home time to be around each other and to be around the Lord. But it's measured in consistency. And sometimes folks look at the structure as the issue. Those things will come as you step out and follow the Lord. And honestly, there's a verse here in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. It gives me hope. Gives me so much hope. It says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And what the Apostle Paul's teaching here, it's, it's not the preacher. It's not the teacher. It's God who takes the word and seals it in their heart who changes their life through the word of God and delivers it and gives it the meaningful increase. We just have to be faithful to deliver it and to live it in front of our families. But family devotions are just part of the equation. And this is part of why I wanted so badly tonight to take a few minutes and really go through this. There's a reason that family devotions, family altar, family prayer, whatever you want to call that time where God is the, the topic where Jesus Christ and his words and prayer, communication with him, the reason those are not happening corporately in the home is because they're not happening individually in the lives of the leadership of the home. This is the real root of the problem. If this was a heart attack, these are the Big Macs that your wife didn't know about, that you were eating at 3 o'clock in the morning. It comes with consequence. The reason there is no peace when it comes to approaching the subjects that might be difficult is because there's no knowledge of those subjects. And it proves that one thing is true. You get one element of this out of whack, out of sorts, and it's a domino effect that can affect really where your children, where your family spends eternity. It's vital. Every single person who is saved, born again, and has complete assurance of that, I want you to say amen. Amen. If you're saved and on your way to heaven, the Bible beckons you, it calls you, it commands you to spend time with God. Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I love this verse. I have preached this hundreds of times. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul sets us up and he gives us the understanding of who it is we're talking about, who it is that we're actually spending time with. He says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that is God the creator. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, as Poppy used to say, the galaxies. This same God of great power and intention is the same God, according to this verse, that hath shined in our hearts 
the God of the universe came by your way and he exposed your eye and your heart to Jesus. And that light, that glorious light, it did something to the darkness that was in you. It cast it out. And God's light is only revealed to those who are saved, to those who are redeemed. You can't have personal devotions. You cannot have family devotions and be lost. The devotion, that word, all that is, is interchangeable with time. We're spending time, we're devoting time to be with God. And this verse goes on here. Verse number seven, listen to this and listen to the language that Paul uses. But we have this treasure, the light of the glorious gospel has been given to us. The creator has shined into the light. The light has shined into the hearts of mere mortals like me and you. And he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The treasure of Jesus, the comfort of the Holy Spirit moving into an old, wretched pot like me. The earthen vessel, the words there that the Apostle Paul's using, it, it likens himself and it likens us as human beings to the pots that sit beside the bed that collect human waste. He's saying it's so miraculous what took place that the light that shines into our hearts, it's like taking an old nasty bed pot and washing it out and cleaning it out. And in that pot now, instead of there being human waste, now there is treasure. And that treasure is a relationship with Christ himself. And when we put that into context, that the creator of the universe loved you enough to call you out of the darkness, to take you from that nasty pot and put something wonderful and beautiful inside of you, then why would we not want to spend time with him? The truth is there is a war raging against you spending time with the Lord. The devil only fights what he fears. And I'm going to tell you something. Satan is terrified of Christian families getting a hold of this because it will change not only your family, but it will change our church maybe for a generation. The treasure of Jesus. It comes down to us being willing to surrender our preference. That's what I had to do here on Tuesday nights, many a night, praying over the church. At home in my study, praying over the future of our ministry. Lord, this is not what I prefer. Lord, it will be easier. Lord, it could upset. That's where we just have to lay it at his feet and trust that he knows best. James 4.8 gives us more. It says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's a promise that he's made. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And as the children of God seek a closer relationship with God, they will find that God is closer than ever before. This is what keeps us. This is what sustains us. And if our only interaction with God is what we're getting when we're at 216 Shelburne Road, then we're anemic. We're starving to death. What if you're sick with cold or flu or COVID or whatever you want to put there and you miss two weeks of corporate togetherness? What if you miss two weeks of your Sunday school class? What if you miss two weeks? What if we get to a place we said we would never ever not have to meet and 17 weeks proved that wrong? Could it be that there would be a new season? Could it be that God sees way down the road even more than we do and he knows that there is a time coming where Romans 1 will be illegal to preach in the United States and that if we do not take the chance now to shore up and solidify the homes that when the federal government puts armed guards and, and padlocks to the front door that your family can still survive. You say it'll never happen. Ask Canada how they're doing tonight. 
You say you're, you're using that as a tool, as, as fear. No, I'm being a shepherd looking over the sheep. And we're preparing our hearts for what might be coming. It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You need to understand this phrase gives you a little bit more clout in your walk with God. This phrase, draw near, it was originally associated with the priesthood of Israel. My granddaddy would never make it through this. And under the old covenant regulations, the priest represented the people before God. Only this priest could go into the presence of God. Only this priest, after following a ritual, a, a, a methodical washing, both physically and spiritually, could he go into the presence and draw nigh unto God. It's the same phrasing. But after Jesus, after the cross, after the victory on Calvary, you don't have to have a priest. You have access to the priest. First Peter says that you are a part of that royal priesthood, a holy nation. You have access to God. And many times we have not because we ask not. And the reason we feel so distant when we come in on Sunday morning from what's happening here or what's happening up there is because there's been no time with God. You say, well, I don't really understand. Why, why then would we change that up? Why won't we just have another service? There's something about coming together. Number one, it's a mandate that we meet together. We need to see each other. Amen? I need to see you. Believe it or not, you might need to see me. But for the one or two instances in the New Testament that teaches that our assembling together is vital, there are 50 that talk about our personal walk, our devotion, our growth, and our development as Christians. You see, we have turned corporate worship into the fix-all. It's like taking that heart attack and going to the car wash. Taking that kidney disease and going to the car wash. And saying, well, it'll fix everything I've got wrong. No, it's intentional. And it's personal. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And what is that pure water? The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. Why is it difficult to read your Bible? You can watch seven and a half hours of Andy Griffith and keep hitting continue and I'm still watching or rewind that same episode five times and have no problem staying awake the moment you open up the New Testament to read a psalm written directly to your heart, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Love you, Lord. Is that not true? Am I the only Christian that experiences that? There is a fight. There is a war that separates you from the truth of his word. So drawing near to him at Trinity Baptist Church needs to mean some different things than it has before. We're talking about developing culture that embraces the importance of the spiritual home life for the sake of the whole. I'm going to explain that in just a moment, then we'll go home and watch Andy and eat ice cream. But let me give you this. In taking these steps, and no doubt these steps that we're taking, we're actually reaching into your life more than we ever have. We've actually released a schedule Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's not just cute words on the paper. We're actually asking you, I'm pleading with you as your pastor to participate in that. If you choose not to, you're going to really miss Sunday night. But if you'll embrace it and say, good, Lord, look at all these opportunities that we have to be a part of this church and this family. And say, Lord, teach me something. Lord, I want to grow. God, I want to be used. I want to stay right. And I want you to do a great work in this church. The Lord will do some things for us. 
And by taking these steps, we're taking them in faith. We have to. If we take this step, this leap, we're saying, Lord, we trust you. And it serves many purposes. And I want to give you some of these purposes. This ultimately gives us accountability to God for our own lives. And I mean our own spiritual lives. Ultimate accountability to God for our spiritual lives. That my growth, my development is not on my pastor or my Sunday school teacher or my deacon. My spiritual growth, my spiritual development is on me. Ultimate accountability. And because of this, it requires radical ownership of spiritual condition. Been church hurt? Let's get it taken care of. Been disappointed? Let's talk about it. Someone in this congregation has hurt you, caused you harm, made a slanderous comment? Boy, you better get it under the blood. You see, it's ownership. It really requires us to participate. It's not just about spectating on a blue chair. This is the rubber meeting the road and us getting our hands dirty. Radical ownership of spiritual condition. And in my heart of hearts, this is the most solid protection on the investment that's been made by the generations before us. What we're doing, what we're asking of you, I believe with all my heart, is the most solid protection on the investment. I love investing in something and getting a good rate of return. Amen? It's not happening now. But not too long ago, you could invest in this country and get a good rate of return. But spiritually speaking, if the families of this church will relocate off of some of the sandy shores in which foundations are being built and make some uncomfortable cuts and some uncomfortable moves and get up on the high ground where the rock is and say, I'm going to serve God, lead my family, and our life is going to revolve around Christ and his word, then God will do something in this place, in our midst, that we cannot even begin to fathom. I believe with all my heart, and I have peace about saying this publicly, that massive educational building that God has put in our hearts that we want to build, that some of us are giving to each week as we save money and prepare. Those modulars one day are going to need to be replaced, like maybe yesterday. But we cannot go to the next level until we trust God, follow God, and we're faithful with what he's given us. Can he trust us? I want to put a picture up on the screen I didn't even get to all this, but we need to go home. Babies need to get in the bed. We'll probably touch on a little bit more of this from an equipping point. But let me just give you this. And I very quickly made this in my office this afternoon. And the media department has probably had a conniption fit over the quality of this particular graphic. But it's what I could do in 10 minutes. So up there at the very top, who is that? Jesus. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is at the very top? Our life, our chief end, our purpose, the reason I am here is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of my life. And then after I'm saved, the Bible teaches us that because of our salvation and what we have access to, our great high priest, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, we have personal time with him. That happens through his word, growing in grace, growing in knowledge, and in prayer. Can I be completely honest with you about something? You see there where it says personal time with Christ, your walk? I can't make you do that. I love you with all my heart, but I can't make you do that. Just like I can't make you come to church. I, I can't make you want to love God. I can't make you want to live for God. It's up to us. I have to stand before God and give an account for what I've done. My personal walk. And then underneath that, especially if I'm a father, a leader, a husband, intentional investment in my family. The Bible's given us clear pictures of structure, the high priest of the home, and that our 
children, the gift from God that God's given us, our wives, our families, those that live in our home that look to us as leaders of the home, that our job is to grow them up, to train them up, and to prepare them for life. Intentional investment in my family. Now, when those two things happen, this is where I get excited. When those two things are happening and they're firing on both cylinders, it's already like a V8. Get ready for V12. We're getting ready to get into like Dodge Viper Corvette action here. Our personal time's happening. Our intentional investment in our family's happening. Listen, you can't go off on a rocket ship and leave your family there. You've got to take them to the moon with you spiritually. But when they come with you and you're leading them together, we're getting on the spaceship and we're going for God together, then when we show up for church, ooh-wee, when we show up for church, what do we get to do? We get to worship together in the overflow of what God's already done for our lives this week. Why are Jubilees not the same like they used to be? Because people aren't living in the overflow of their life anymore. Moms and dads aren't teaching the Bible anymore at home. Why, why does nobody do what they used to do when somebody sings a particular song and the joy of the Lord comes? Because there is no joy. You can do that bottom corporate assembly a thousand times in a month. And there may be some good points. There may be some truth come towards you. And you may even receive it. But imagine what God could have done had the following preceding two things had happened. And then from there, look what happens. Uh, Matthew 5 gives us this. We are salt, we are light if we belong to Jesus. That's just who we are. If you're his, you're salt, you're light, you're to be that. But look what happens from the corporate assembly. Here's where we come to church. This is what we do. Evangelism takes place. Discipleship takes place. Fellowship takes place. Do you know there's a difference in fellowshipping in the spirit and fellowshipping not in the spirit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Care for widows and orphans. Care for widows and orphans. We have over 110 in our church. There's a biblical mandate, not only on the deacons, but the entire church to care for those widows. But if folks aren't having any personal time with Christ and there's nothing happening in their home and their family as far as Christ and prayer and scripture reading, then what do they have to offer? You can't give out what you don't possess. You see, if there's one fracture, if there's one line missing, one chain, it's a chain reaction. And church, with all the love in my heart, I feel like I could charge hell with a mouthful of water and spit the fire out. We're going to put the word of God in our right hand, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're going to take the Christian flag and we're going to run back into the homes and we're taking back the house. And on Sunday afternoons and Sunday evenings at Trinity Baptist Church, there are going to be pods of God's people all over western North Carolina and upstate South Carolina and we're going to see God do great things in this day and in this hour. If you're struggling and you need to ask a question, do it. Don't let it smolder. Don't let it stew. Call the church office tomorrow. We'll answer that question for you. You need to know that. If there's a burning question you have to have answered, please, please come to one of the pastors and do that. And then the last thing we're going to do is train and equip. A lot of conversations with some men. They're hungry. They're ready for this. They're excited for this. And they need some help. We're going to build a resource guide for them. Some great places to start. And one thing you can do even this coming week, you can find a place in the week and bring your family together and you can share your testimony. Do your children know when you got saved, how you got saved, who was preaching the night you got saved? Was it like Pastor Nathan and you were at home and you went to your mom and dad and you kneeled on your couch in your living room? What's your story? Where'd you get saved? I believe that in the next few years, we're going to have a lot of testimonies about children that came to Christ at home on Sunday nights, praying in the living room with mom and dad or in the bedroom like Zay just did a few weeks ago. God's in this. I have peace. I love you. I thank you for your prayers, your support. And uh, we'll do this together. Amen. As Poppy said, we'll do good to get out of alive. And, I, and we may not. 
Lord may come tomorrow and we could just forget about it. Then we'll spend the rest of eternity together, worshiping him together. Until that time, let's remain faithful. Let's remain tender. And let's please continue to pray for Pastor Ralph as he preaches under that tent. Last night, they set out 800 chairs, had to set out 700 more, had seven saved. Let's pray for him. Heavenly Father, God, in Jesus' name, Lord, to the best of our ability, as humbly we know how, we've shared our heart. Lord, my mind is tired. Lord, my heart is heavy. Lord, the burden of change. Lord, it weighs deep. But God, as we have for months now, we put it at your feet. And we ask you to do what only you can do. God, I pray again over our church family. God, every person over the age of 65, every widow, God, every child that's here, every teenager, every young adult, every member of the choir, every member of the media team and usher, the deacons. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them. Lord, I pray that you'd keep them. God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd sustain them on the word of God and reach into the homes of Trinity Baptist Church. Father, there are families here tonight who are on the brink of a divorce. And Lord, the only hope they have is that Jesus become king of the home once again. Father, the only hope some of these situations have is with the daddy will become the man of the home once again and lead his family as God intended. Lord, I pray for the ones that are here tonight that feel the weight of past mistakes. Lord, I pray that they remember, that they would recall the grace and the mercy of God. But Lord, if there are folks here who have made those mistakes, who wish they could go back and change things with their children, the Father, that they would be an advocate for what matters. And Lord, that you would secure our homes rooted upon the rock in obedience to the word of God. Lord, I love you and I thank you for Trinity Baptist Church. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please make sure to take this Title IX. Leave a Christ-like, passionate comment. Mine's about 117 pages and it includes the entire New Testament and Old Testament and all of the passages on the wrath of God are in bold and underlined. But please take that, understand what's taking place, and pray for your country. The election coming up uh, that can't happen soon enough will be very important. And Republicans are not the answer. Democrats are not the answer. But God's people waking up and taking control of their communities again Boy, it sure could help. Let's prepare our hearts to pray, to vote, and to hold our elected officials accountable. Go in the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Do we have practice tonight? All right, all those that are in the choir, make your way this way. Wet your whistle, get your cough drop, and get ready for a few tunes as you practice.